Good morning. Welcome to the 11 o'clock First Sanctuary service, one of our first Cary community, worshiping communities. I'm glad that you're here and that you've gathered for worship this morning. Let me, um, we've got a couple of things to do before we begin this morning. Let me start with this one. Would you find the fellowship folders that are on the end of each of your rows and take a moment and sign it and share it with one another, record your presence with us this morning as you've gathered. We want you to know we've done a, one little slightly different thing with the bulletin this week as we're kind of living into this new space and new time, and that is that um, while the full list of prayer concerns is on the church website, the most recent prayer concerns in the last week or so are printed here in the bulletin. So you may want to look at those um, and be in, be in prayer and mindful of the people who are listed there. I invite you to do that as we're gathering this morning as well. And also a reminder to you that the pastors um, will stay at the front of the church after service. We'd be happy for you to come speak to us, um, but if you need to get us a message and you can't come, there'll be a Stephen minister in the lobby who'll be happy to take that message and share it with us later. We want to take a minute this morning. Tomorrow is Veterans Day, and we want to express appreciation to those who have served. So we're going to do that uh, in a little bit of a different way this morning in this space. I'm going to call out um, each of the branches of the service. If you served in that branch of service, I'm going to invite you to stand and remain standing and when they've all uh, stood, we're going to give you a chance to thank them all for their service. So if you've served in the United States Army, if you're a veteran of the United States Army, would you stand? The Navy. Marines. Coast Guard. Air Force. Would you all thank them for their service? We are grateful to you for the ways you've served all of us, and we give thanks to God for you and for that time you offered up of yourself on our behalf. Now I want to invite you all to take a moment and express gratitude to someone you haven't spoken to yet, express gratitude that they are here, and welcome each other to worship in Jesus' name.
Let us stand for our greeting. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. We give you thanks and offer you praise.
Let us pray. Almighty God, when we gather in your name, we are changed. There's no way around it. We cannot come together in your presence and not be moved. So today we surrender to your moving and to the ways you desire to change us. Let this hour together be sacred and may your name be made great. You are holy, worthy, and full of glory, and we are humbled to be in your presence. Receive our worship as an offering of praise. We ask for your wisdom as we hear your word today. We know that the scriptures can guide us and lead us into knowing you more. We de desire that so greatly, to know you, to know your son, to know the voice of your spirit. May your words bring us life and hope today. Amen. You may be seated. Our first reading this morning comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, selected verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. As to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we beg you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as though from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord is already here. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the lawless one is revealed, the one destined for destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God. Do you not remember that I told you these things when I was with you? But we must always give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. For this purpose, he called you through our proclamation of the good news, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and through grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen them in every good work and word. Thus ends the reading of the first lesson.
to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Hear now the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked Jesus a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers, the first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living, for to him all of them are alive. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Last week, as you know, was All Saints Sunday, and we did what we annually do on All Saints Sunday. We gathered, we remembered those from our community who have joined the communion of saints in the past year, who've run ahead of us to the church triumphant. We read their names and we lit candles for them. Then we allowed for some space for us to name other names of people who were important to us so we could remember Last Sunday, um, Mary Ellen and I were not here with you. We were at another church. We were at a small membership rural country church because it was Bennett's baptism on All Saints Sunday, a great day to welcome a new saint into the communion of saints. And they did, in, in Elizabeth and Jason's church, they did much what we do here. They read the names of the members who died, the seven of the 70 of them who died in the past year. That's 10% roughly. Think about that, what that would mean for us. Um, they read those seven names, and they remembered those folks, but they did something a little different uh, than we do it, too. They had, the, their room is designed differently than ours, and they had candles in all of the window seals all the way around the room and on a couple of shelves, and they invited people, as you came to communion, there was a jar with large matchsticks, and they invited you to take a large matchstick, light it from the Paschal candle, and then light as many candles as you wanted to in memory of other people that you wish to be in prayer for and remember with gratitude that day. And by the end of, it's very lovely, it was very moving. At the end of the service, there were more candles lit in the room than there were people in the room, which is how it is with us in the communion of saints, right? There are far more of them than there are of us. And as we were leaving, I noticed because it's a small rural country church, there is a cemetery. So even on, even on the Sundays that aren't All Saints Sundays, they're mindful of those who've gone before. They go to worship by passing 
by the cemetery to get into the church. And it reminded me that there's this thin line, isn't there? There's this just the sort of, we used to call it a veil. There's this thin line which separates us from the unseen, which separates us from those who've gone ahead of us that we can't see any longer. And, and we have questions about what's on the other side of that line, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like, what the experience will be. We have, we have questions. We wonder about that. Some of our questions are about life and death and have no answers at all. And some of our beliefs about all of that are biblical and some of our beliefs about all of that are not biblical, to be quite honest. We know that. When, when couples um, want to get married, the last thing we do in their premarital counseling is we go through the service. We read the vows and discuss them because I think it's pretty important they know what it is they're promising to do. Because it won't be long before they're going to need to remember what they promised to do. And so we read the vows and we explain them. Things like why we want you to say I will rather than I do. Right? That's subtle, but it's, it's important. And one of, the vow, one of the phrases that sometimes gets conversation is this one. Until we are parted by death. Now, I typically get one of three responses when we get to that place in the service. The, the largest number of responses are this, o okay, we're 25, we're going to live another 70 years, why do we care? Sure, until we're fine, that's fine. Then the second response I get um, is um, interesting. Somebody in the couple, usually only one member of the couple, will say to me, well, can't we just leave that out? Now, let me tell you, I know right then they're in trouble. Because if you're hedging your bets on how long the contract's going to last before you even sign it, you're in trouble. The third group is the smallest group, but it's in some ways to me the most fascinating. The third group of people are the couple who will say to me, can't we change that? Well, what do you want to change it to, I'll say. And they'll say, well, can't we change it so that we're, so we're going to do all of these things unto eternity or forever and ever. And I looked at them with all the compassion I can and I say, no, you can't say that. <laughs> and they want to know why we can't say that and I'll say, well, two reasons. One is you're not going to be able to do it and two, Jesus said you shouldn't say that. And then we have to unpack that and we're going to try to unpack a little bit of that as we go through this story this morning. We have questions, don't we, about life after death, about what that looks like. We want to know, what is it going to look like on the other side? Will I be myself? Will I recognize people I love? Will they recognize me? Is there a difference between resurrection and an immortal soul? Does it make a difference? Here's a hint. Yes, there's a difference, and yes, it makes a difference. And we have all of these questions that we can't seem to get answers to, and I want to tell you, I think I need to be fair and tell you that, that pastors don't always have these answers either. In fact, most of the time we don't. These are some of the most frequently asked questions we get in our ministry, and the frustrating thing, I can't answer them for you. I don't know the answer to these questions, and the best answer I can give you sometimes is, I don't know. Otherwise, it can lead to clerical malpractice. I, someone was telling me recently they'd gone to a funeral, they were at the cemetery, and this grieving daughter asked the pastor, who I am ashamed to tell you is a United Methodist pastor, where her mother is now. And the pastor's answer was, well, wherever you would like for her to be. That's a terrible answer. Because first of all, the first response to that is, isn't it, I'd like for her to be right here with me, and she's not. 
but the theology of it's bad. We have these questions about life and death and resurrection and life after death, and we're not the first people to have these questions. In this story from the Gospel of Luke, the Sadducees come to question Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, it is the only time in the Gospel of Luke that the Sadducees come to question Jesus. And I want to hit a pause button for just a minute because I want us to understand that there's a difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. We lump them together all the time, right? We say, well, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and we, but they're two very distinct groups within Judaism. The only thing that unites them is their common antipathy towards Jesus. Beyond that, they don't agree, and the, the, the disagreement is fundamental. The Pharisees believe that what is scriptural, what is ordained by God as holy scriptural, is everything that you consider to be the Old Testament. And that includes the wisdom writings and the writings of the prophets. And that's significant because the wisdom writings and the writings of the prophets were written either just before, during, or after the exile, a time of great um, alienation and discomfort and dis-ease for Israel. And it was during that time that Israel and its theology began to develop this doctrine of resurrection from the dead. So in the fullness of what we call the Old Testament, there's an understanding of resurrection. And the Pharisees believe in resurrection, believe that God's justice requires and demands that there be resurrection. The Sadducees, on the other hand, believe that what is scriptural are only the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the Torah. And if it's not found in the five books of Moses, it's not acceptable belief. And they, they cannot find or point to a doctrine of the resurrection from the dead in the five books of Moses. So, as Luke says, the Sadducees, who did not believe in a resurrection, came to Jesus to question him. It's a trap. The, what they want to question him about is, is the old, they want, to, they want to push him into saying whether he believed in resurrection or not. So they ask him a question based on the old Leverite marriage law, which you remember is the law that says, if a man dies and has no child, the next brother marries the wife, and the first child they have is the child of the deceased. That way the name and line of the man who died can be continued, and in Sadducean theology, that's the only eternal life you have is through your descendants. So they come to Jesus and they say, okay, there are seven brothers. It's an absurd hypothetical, but it's possible. There are seven brothers, and the first one dies, marries, dies, has no child. The second one marries the woman, dies, has no child. So the third, so the fourth, all seven of them marry this same woman and die, none of them having had a child. James Howell, my friend, says that he knows of a preacher who preached a sermon on this text once entitled it, One Bride for Seven Brothers. Horrible sermon title. And then, finally, at long last, the poor, exhausted woman died. Now, they say to Jesus, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? She married all seven. Here's the trap. If Jesus says, on the one hand, well, there is no resurrection, the Pharisees accuse him of heresy and standing outside the traditions of Judaism. If he names any of the seven brothers, he just makes it look absurd and foolish. So Jesus does what Jesus does, which is refuses to accept the premise of the question. 
One thing he says is not like the other. We don't talk about marriage in terms of resurrection. Resurrection life is something qualitatively different than life in this age. The question has no answer, Jesus says. But, he says to the Sadducees, resurrection is in the Torah. It is in the books of Moses. Because at the burning bush, God says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. Not I was, but I am. And he is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And to him, they are all alive. Now look, I'm not 100% certain what all of that means. Except I'm sure of one thing it doesn't mean, and I'm pretty sure of one thing that it might mean. I'm absolutely certain that that answer of Jesus does not mean your mother or husband or child or whomever you love is wherever you want them to be. Because what I'm certain it means is that all of us, both living and dead, are in the gentle, good keeping of God's grace. Because God is a God of the living. And if God is a God of the living, what that means is this God who creates and gives life in the first place recreates and continues to give life over and over to those we see and to those whom we cannot see. And that this God of the living is constantly doing a new thing, leaning forward into the future which has no end in God. And if all of that is true, then perhaps what that also means is that I'm being called to release some things to release some things that I want to cling to but are not life-giving things in order to embrace and receive what this life-giving God wishes to give me and you and all of us seen and unseen on both sides of the grave. Now look, we're in November. Um, it's that time of year where the lectionary car carries us into these end-time stories in the Gospels. We're in November in that time of year when the days are shorter and the darkness is creeping in on us. And we're having to deal with this increasing darkness in our lives around us just in the world. We're in November where things are beginning to die and decay around us. Leaves are falling from trees and grass is browning. And we get through Christmas with all the lights and then we're faced with January and all of that that, that looks like. And I've spent all week wondering why that text this time of year? What, what is it that's the word for the church this time of year in that text? Particularly a church of people, just people that we are, who have these questions about life and death and life after death. And I thought for a little bit that maybe what I should do is focus on this. You've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You've got two groups within Judaism with two very different understandings of what Judaism is. And that sort of in many ways is where the church is now, right? And that might be a good word to that. And then I thought, well, but that's not what the story's about. And I thought about the fact that they've got these two different understandings because they have two different understandings of the Bible and Scripture and that that might be something worth talking about, but that's not what the story's about. So when I realized what I think the story's about, I decided the best way to get to it with you is to sort of back into it. One of the hardest things about preparing sermons for y'all is landing them. 
We get them up in the air, but we got to get them down. So I'm going to back into this. So if you'll hold on to something, you know, we buckle your seat belts, you know, put your chair tables upright. I'll land this thing and we can... And I want to land it by talking about country music. How's that for a total non sequitur to everything I've said before? Particularly Ken Burns' recent documentary on country music. I've watched that. I loved it. I hope you've watched it. If you haven't watched it, start watching it. Even if you're not a country music fan, because it's not about country music. None of Ken Burns' documentaries are about what the thing says it's about. What Ken Burns does is takes pieces of our life, the Civil War, Vietnam, World War II, the National Parks, country music, and he tells the story of who we are by focusing through that lens. That's what this documentary is about. And in it, he, there are recurring themes that come up over and over over the hundred years that he covers, and one of the recurring themes is one song in particular that's sort of become an anthem in country music. It first became popular in the 1930s when the Carter family took an old gospel hymn and rewrote it slightly and then recorded it. And their recording was a hit. And then as with most hits and popular songs, it sort of faded a while and other artists would cover it and it would sort of flare back up briefly and then it would die back down until the 1970s. In the 1970s, one of my favorite groups, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and Jeff Hanna decided to make an album. And what they wanted to do was take the idols and legends of country music and the new country music artists, who 40 years later now are the idols and legends of country music, and bring them together to do this one recording. So they brought in Mother Maybelle Carter and Roy Acuff and Doc Watson and Earl Scruggs and Bill Monroe. And they started recording this album. But Jeff Hanna wasn't, he couldn't find, he needed one last song for the album and he needed a title for the album. And then he remembered the old Carter family song. And he brought it in on the last day of recording and he had them sing it as an ensemble. He had a solo stanza to Mother Maybelle Carter and a solo stanza to Roy Acuff. And they recorded this, it actually became the title track for the album. It's a song about loss, it's a song about grief, it is a song full of pathos and longing, and it's a song that asks a fundamental question, and it asks it in the chorus, and you know this chorus, will the circle be unbroken, by and by, Lord, by and by, there's a better Home awaiting in the sky, Lord, in the sky. I think that's what this story is about. I think the Sadducees are trying to trick and trap Jesus by asking him a question that plays on our greatest fear, which is the uncertainty of what happens in the resurrection the uncertainty of what happens to us after death. And Jesus, maybe to our dismay, doesn't give a specific answer. And he doesn't give details. 
But to those with ears to hear and hearts to believe, he gives an answer that is filled with comfort and hope. He's not a God of the dead. He's a God of the living. And to him, they are all alive, Jesus says. In other words, the circle will be unbroken. And for that, we can all say, thanks be to God. Together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, Lord. 
Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Eternal God, merciful judge of all the living, in your love you called us to share the glory of Christ. Strengthen our hearts in every good work and word, that we may be steadfast in your ways and always believe your truth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of our ancestors, we confess to you that we are frequently slow to believe what you have promised through your prophets and in your son Jesus. We succumb to fears of death as if it were the end of everything. And all too often we live as if there is nothing to live for beyond death. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us our doubts, our disbelief, and our deafness to the witness of other believers and our silence when we could give witness to the faith which we have. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of the living, grant that we might see beyond the ruins that lie about us, that we might take to heart the lessons of Scripture, which testify to your willingness and ability to bring new life. Give to those who despair a vision of the resurrection which awaits all those who believe, all those you have chosen. Help them to order their lives by the principles of your everlasting kingdom, that kingdom in which faith, hope, and love transfigure all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we remember the concerns and prayers that have been lifted up this past week by members of this community. Concerns and prayers that we now pray for with them. For all those who are lonely, fearful, or in pain. For those who are struggling with addictions and, de and dependencies that cripple their living and harm the world about them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Loving Lord, we pray for those on our hearts and minds this day. Those we have prayed for over many weeks friends struggling to find meaning in their lives, those who need healing, and those who need the comfort of your spirit as they grieve. Lord, hear now your people as we pray and name those names in our hearts and minds. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all the ministries of this congregation and we especially lift to you the youth at pilgrimage this weekend and the launch of First Table this week. Bless those gatherings that all present may feel your presence and your grace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray these things in your holy name as we pray together as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As children of the living God, let us give to the Lord God's tithes and our gifts.
Lord Jesus Christ himself and God give comfort to your hearts and strengthen them in every work and word. As you go into the world, may the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you always. Amen.